Welcome to Tuesday, one and all, February 13th, 2024, which means, guys, you got 24 hours to figure out what to do for Valentine's Day. Um, if, and what you're giving up for lap. And and, well. and that. But, of course, that's still uh, in the distance because we've got Fat Tuesday, or as what I refer to it as yeah. already Fat Enough Tuesday. <laughs> but that means Tuesday. we're going to have Punchkey's pushed under our snouts, and uh, we will have to make the decision whether to throw caution to the wind. Do you have a a flavor? flavor? (laughs) No, I guess just traditional jelly. Yeah. I don't really have a flavor, you know. It's no, all, just it's all you, good to me. You don't you can't mean between cream and like the berry filling. Uh, I guess I versus the go versus the, the prune, which I've never understood. You said, you said prune? Yeah. <laughs> have you seen? You've avoided that for the, I've avoided prune. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. Also, uh, on this day, the Tigers and catch- pitchers and catchers have shown up in Lakeland. So we got that little sign of spring. Single uh, game tickets go on sale tomorrow okay. at the Tigers box office. We got the Senate voting on a $95 billion aid package right now. They pulled an all-nighter. Um, it will provide badly needed funding to Ukraine. Um, critics are saying it, it won't help Ukraine win. Perhaps not, but it sure as heck will make sure that they don't lose, at least in the short term, as they are uh, facing serious ammo problems. There's also aid for Israel in that. The House has basically said, the Speaker says, it's DOA because there's nothing having to do with our southern border. Uh, yeah. Which was in a bill, exactly. I, I, I recall. Last week. I mean, I've... Yeah. I may have some Bidenitis memory problems myself, <laughs> but I distinctly remember that being offered to them and it being the most far-reaching border reform package that we've seen in decades. Uh, But the timing of it apparently was all wrong. We'll see if it has enough votes to pass. It does. It has passed the Senate. So it will go on to the House where there is a question about whether or not it will get a vote or not. A lot of concern today about a Metro Detroit skater, Jamie. Yeah, a prominent skater from Novi uh, in skating in Disney on ice had the scary fall in Minneapolis. I, you know, if you've ever watched figure skating, when the lifts happen, when the male skater holds the female skater up, apparently she fell, hitting her head and mm. then went into seizures. A tent was put on the ice to give her medical care and the lights dimmed. A short time later, she was taken to that Minneapolis hospital. She's in stable condition right now. But people in this town know her. She skated with a partner named Jordan Cohen, and they practice in Ann Arbor at the Ice Cube for years. And this is a hotbed for skating, and all the skaters really around yeah. the country, but especially here, would know this young woman's name. Does this happen more often? I mean, you've skated for a lot yet. of years. It's Anastasia Olson. Anastasia Olson, and she and Jordan Cowan were at ice. I think they got silver at the Nationals a few years back. He he was trying to, you know, he's d- deeply concerned, but says she's very special and is optimistic about her recovery. I know for a fact that she's a skater through and through that she's going to get back on the ice um you know someday soon i know that she's a fighter and she'll do anything for this sport that was from mara mcdonald's story yeah last night at local four um does it happen more often than we know about i mean this happened in kind of a high profile venue but you think in all the practices yeah, I mean, it happens. I, I know skaters who've skated on Disney on ice, there are falls. Sometimes there are serious falls, but hopefully she's okay. And I, I'm with him. Like, if she's skated her whole life, this won't deter her no. from moving forward. No, it sounds like she was a competitor and also it's a passion.
It's it's what she loves I'm to sure do. I'm sure it was scary for the people watching Disney oh, on Ice. Absolutely. Oh, well they threw immediately threw up a tent around her. And I mean then you then of course the lights go down to nothing basically and it's it's got to be just an alarming moment. Yeah. Uh, especially with the with kids, kids, yeah. there, the kids there. And the there next at. performance is here at Little Caesars Arena. Yeah, and we're going to be doing that with the grandkids and uh but uh, yeah, she was playing Belle and we'll, we'll just hope for the best. Anastasia Olsen is her name and uh, a 2009 silver medalist at the Nationals. Um, an extraordinary series of events, uh, long, you know, about a week long in the making up at our nation, uh, state capitol. Right? Yeah, uh, Michigan House Speaker Joe Tate uh, has taken a firm stance against racist rhetoric. Representative Josh Schreiber, a Republican from Oxford, faced repercussions from Tate after allegedly endorsing a racist theory on social media. The theory termed the Great Replacement has been debunked by the Southern Poverty Law Center for promoting false assertions about demographic shifts. Now, Shriver's failure to remove the post made on February 6th prompted Tate to strip him of his committee assignments and withhold certain resources. Tate emphasized the House's commitment to inclusivity and condemned Shriver's promotion of divisive ideologies, releasing a statement that reads in part, the House of Representatives is the people's house, and all Michiganders should look upon this body and take pride in how we conduct ourselves. It is also a workplace, and I have the responsibility to make sure the employees of the House feel safe and secure. Despite the disciplinary action guy, he, Shriver, retains his right to vote in the House. So it doesn't uh, it, it doesn't uh, do anything. Right now they're tied 54-54. Right. It does nothing to disrupt that. It's not like Tate is doing this for the political reasons. Political majority. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting that Matt Hall, the House minority leader, or I mean, right now they're one and the same, the House Republican leader. Kind of quiet. Hasn't said much about it. Donnie Steele, my state rep, uh, came out and condemned it. Uh, good on her. There is no place for this. Uh, Matt Maddock, who's another state rep, came to Shriver's defense yesterday, calling him a great man and saying that this is nothing but woke leadership. Um, you know, labeling fairness, labeling, uh, uh, you know, condemning a racist ideology, that's not woke. That is enlightened. Yeah. And and that is someone that's committed to fairness. So good on Donnie Steele. Uh, for standing up. I wish more members of her party would. Yeah, I mean, this all started with a tweet. He reposted a picture Yes, that was pretty offensive to a lot of people, and it started finding its way everywhere. Well, and he's trying to say, well, I, you know, this wasn't something I wrote. This is just something I retweeted, which is kind of a very no. um, shallow mm-hmm. defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very um, so. If you don't endorse, you are endorsing it when you put it on your social media. Sure. Uh, so, you know, either accept the consequences for that, but don't try to behind that. Uh, and uh, the it's just a sad thing, which unfortunately just gives more oxygen to this great replacement theory mm-hmm. to some degree. Uh, but you read about it and it's like so many of these very narrow minded us against them kind of theories. Um, kind of like the, whoa, the entire financial system in America is being controlled by five Jewish guys in a cabal. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's been out there forever, and it's it's weak-minded, small-minded thinking. Agreed. Um, this, um, the, Donald Trump going to the Supreme Court yet again, he's keeping them mighty busy. They're busy this year, days. right? It was an emergency filing on Monday. He Trump asked the Supreme Court to weigh in on whether he may claim immunity from prosecution 
once again pressing these nine justices to resolve a question that could undermine his campaign. You remember four days ago, the court heard historic arguments, oral arguments, over whether Trump should be disqualified for the ballot for his actions on January 6th. In this case, the D.C. Circuit Court handed a unanimous decision last week that flatly rejected his claims of immunity from election subversion charges brought by special counsel. Um, The they need to decide now a timeline and a calendar for this because the initial trial date was March 4th. Now we wait and see what the Supreme Court does and timing as the election marches forward. And Andy McCarthy, who does such a good job breaking down these legal things on on Fox and in the National Review, uh, former prosecutor, said, look, don't get caught up in all this immunity thing. He said this is overly broad. The Trump team knows it's going to be struck down. It's nothing but a delay tactic. Mm-hmm. And he says that's, you know, this is a time-honored tradition, trying to delay it past the election. And he said, so don't get caught, so caught up in that. Look more, to your point, about the timing and how quickly the Supremes will take this up. Well, the D.C. Circuit Court made the timeline that he has to file by Monday. So they tried to speed up the process, and he did file by Monday. Right. But now it's a question of the Supreme Court normally isn't in the habit of getting rushed. <laughs> No. no. And so but we'll, we'll they see what happens. heard the oral arguments for the other case quicker than usual. Right. For, that was in the Colorado yeah. uh, yes, ballot the case. By the way, speaking of ballots, uh, the 3rd District, uh, Congressional District of New York, is going to be going to the ballot today. That's George Santos' old seat to determine whether or not to, uh, who will replace him. But it's a blizzard. It's a huge, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's the mother of Nor'easters. Uh, Santos, uh, I'm, but, sure, said, you know, I'm sure Santos is saying, yeah, you know. What you get. I'm sure Santos saying it's some kind of act of God. Of course. Um, but uh-huh. no, it will be interesting because, I mean, the, the, the Republican majority in the House right now is so razor thin. Um, I mean, today they're relying on Steve Scalise to come back from his cancer treatment to vote on impeaching Mayorkas. But this is going to be an important election and important for another reason. Right now, the whole migrant issue, you've got 150,000 migrants that New York is taking care of. This district is really upset about that. Mm-hmm. And it will be a gauge, uh, blizzard aside, of the level of frustration about that. And it could give Republicans a victory there. Also, somber day uh, in East Lansing. There will be a vigil tonight at the Breslin Center. Uh, Kids can pick up uh, these green luminaries that when you then they're decorating them all, each Mm -hmm. one uh, in memory of the three victims, Ariel Anderson, Brian Fraser, Alex Ferner, who lost their lives one year ago today in that shooting. Uh, both in the uh, the Berkeley Hall and elsewhere on the campus. And uh, the flags will be at half-staff under the governor's uh, order. And uh, they'll be remembering uh, those three victims tonight at 810 in the Breslin. And uh, certainly we had a good discussion about that that you can find at WGR.com about the new security protocols mm-hmm. that have been mm-hmm. put in place and some that aren't being embraced nearly enough. When we come back, we'll get the latest live from Capitol Hill on what is happening with this emergency aid package, what its future might be in the U.S. House. That's next on JR Morning at 619. We've got something really exciting coming up, and that's the WJR Travel Club is headed to to Cambodia. Uh, Gail and I are going to be taking WJR listeners on a -a once-in-a-lifetime trip to Southeast Asia. We're going to be starting in uh, Ho Chi Minh City used to be Saigon. We're going to explore this iconic Angkor Wat uh, site, which is so steeped in ancient traditions. Uh, going to meet with local legends, Mr. Hung, uh, who will teach us about life on the Mekong. And we're going to be doing all of this from our very own Mekong Luxury Riverboat. Just us 
WJR listeners on this boat so we can share the experience. Uh, we've got a lot of fun things planned, uh, both to celebrate cuisine and uh, just to celebrate life. We're going to be doing yoga on the deck. If that's not your thing, we'll find other things for you to do. The entire itinerary right now is at WJRTravelClub.com. Check it out, and especially check out the pictures. They are stunning. But if you've got some questions about all this, uh, by all means, call our friends at Cruise and Tour, 800-383-3131. 800-383-3131. And Gail and I, the best part of this is meeting you and sharing it with you. And we can't wait to meet you when we travel on the Mekong. We are watching the Senate live. Yes, they are still working. They work through the night. They have indeed passed the $95 billion in aid to Israel, Ukraine, and Taiwan. The yeses are 69. The noes are 29. And people who are no are vehemently now tweeting about why they are no. Let's bring in Ryan Schmelz, Fox News radio correspondent and WJR contributor. Good morning. Did you sleep? Ryan? Hey, can you guys hear me? Yes, yeah. we're wondering if you slept uh, or you stayed up all night. Uh, no, I'm actually, I, the reason why I didn't answer when you first uh, responded was because I was going through security and the phone was in the bucket. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Logistics uh, problems. I can't believe yeah, that security guard didn't give us a, a good report. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, we are now uh, here on the Senate and we have uh, seen enough yay votes for this to finally pass but this has been a very long night full of filibusters and arguments against this that uh those who were trying to stop this from being coming law were essentially you know just trying to stall but that was the only thing they could do at this point the votes were there those who are yeses say if you fail to help ukraine putin will invade a nato nation ukraine is not the end but senators like Rand paul are saying he's a no he'll continue to be a no because it puts ukraine first and america last Yes. Well, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that there was, you know, a failure to get some type of border security package across the finish line when it came to negotiating this. And certainly uh, a lot of Republicans viewed that border security bill as uh, just not good enough for them, even though, you know, the Republican negotiator helped negotiate the deal, really tried to push them uh, across the finish line, but just did not have any luck. So, yep, we're in a situation now where this passes, but We don't know where this goes in the House right now because Speaker Johnson has been very adamantly against this. And, Ryan, I also know that uh, Donald Trump has played a part in there as well. You know, he opposed more aid and he he recently suggested turning the, the aid package into a loan. Yeah, he did. Yes. And that certainly has gotten a lot of pushback here on Capitol Hill. He's made some comments about that. Uh, people have not really uh, enjoyed, which it includes, I believe, saying that if a country doesn't pay its bills, Russia should be allowed to invade, something along those lines. Um, but former President Trump also plays a little bit in this as well, because Senator Vance believes that there is a provision that is in this bill that ultimately would allow Donald Trump to face impeachment again if he, if he gets reelected. So, I mean, the, the fear mongering uh, about uh, in all of this is, is pretty exhausting, uh, Ryan, it, there, there seems to be a, a, a group of Republicans that don't want to embrace the idea that we can and should do both. But when both is offered, it's politically inconvenient timing um, because the Border Patrol guards themselves said it was a good deal. Yes. No, I mean, and, and, and that's something that Senator Lankford 
uh, the Republican from Oklahoma consistently tried to argue. You know, uh, I asked him, you know, when this first came out, what was the biggest obstacle when it comes to getting this passed? He said, A, there's a lot of misinformation going around. And the reason he says that is because, you know, there was this provision in that bill that essentially says that if Border Patrol has 5,000 migrant encounters a day, that would require the border to be shut down. Whereas there was a lot of people going around saying that pretty much means that the United States is going to allow 5,000 people into the country illegally yeah. a day, which just simply wasn't true. Yeah, the ignoring the fact people- it would have shut down the border and for, for yeah. the better part of a month and all those days, no migrants would have been coming yeah, over. Exactly. No asylum cases, no nothing. And that, and something that Kirsten Cinema, the independent who was in all those deals, was saying was, well, you know, Former President Trump did try to shut the border down in 2019, and he was stopped by the courts. So she said, we need a law that allows the president to close down the border because it's been tried in the past and it didn't work. So it's six in the morning here, and now it goes to the House. And now what? Yeah, we got to figure that out. We don't know. Speaker Johnson doesn't seem like he's going to bring this to the floor, but there is a way for Democrats to get it to the floor. It's something called a discharge petition. Essentially, if enough Democrats and enough Republicans sign this discharge petition, mm. it would force Speaker Johnson to put it on the House floor, where it would have probably enough votes to pass if Republicans jump on board with this. But, you know, you do run the risk of a couple progressive Democrats probably voting no. And also the discharge petition is just very rare in general. So we don't know if that's going to happen. You know, uh, some of these uh, lawmakers, uh, Ryan, they don't seem you know, very uh, promising when it comes to uh, Ukraine, saying that basically Putin's going to win and, you know, he's not going to lose. And at some point that we have to recognize the reality. So basically sending money over there means nothing. Yeah, I do think that argument is being made. You know, I, I think there is this big concern about Ukraine's government. They believe there's a significant amount of corruption that's there. And, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why Vladimir Zelensky even got into office in the first place, because there were some serious issues with Ukraine's government. But at the same time, yes, I think there is this, this, this anger amongst those who, who have that view. Uh, and, and, you know, there still is a good bipartisan support for Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And there were a number of senators in there who probably wanted to vote yes to this, but ended up voting no. For the simple reason, you know, they're, 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 it, it, it varies, obviously. But I think, you know, you factor in that there's Gaza humanitarian aid in here. There was some a lot of them didn't like that. Uh, you factor in the fact that the border security provisions were simply just not attached to it. That's a big issue for a lot of them because they believe that this was their ultimate piece of leverage for the southern border. But that doesn't mean Speaker Johnson can't take advantage of that and maybe try negotiating with the president himself, which is what a number of House Republicans are starting to say should happen, which is let's not make this a Senate thing. This should be between Speaker Johnson and the White House, and that's how we negotiate a border deal. Well, and it's just it's such a window into election year politics. Very quickly, Ryan, when making the case for the aid, how bad are things in Ukraine right now? We only have a few seconds. but Yeah, well, we hear consistently that, that Russia is gaining territory, that the Ukrainians are running low on, on supplies and ammunition. They are getting a $54 billion uh, aid package from the, the European Union coming soon, and now they could – We'll see. Get one from the United States, too. But that still is up in the air, depending on what the House does. Well, Ryan, I'm glad you have your phone. I'm glad you're through security. Get us the information. (laughs) We appreciate you. Hey, sounds good. Thank you so much. Have a great morning, everyone.
Coming up next on JR Morning, let's talk about the Chevrolet Equinox EV and all it has to offer when it comes to range. We've all been waiting for kind of the holy grail, the the affordable EV that, that you know, is big enough to move the family, to carry our stuff, and that will come in at a reasonable price. We were told the Chevy Equinox would be that. So what are we getting really? Uh, we asked that question because today is Tuesday. Time for Mobility Makers, brought to you by Bridgestone. Getting people down the road matters, but getting generations down them, that's what really matters. Bridgestone, visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more. We welcome in a guy who's fresh off the uh, Chicago Auto Show, Paul Eisenstein, senior contributing editor for Headlight.News. Not .com, .news. We want to make sure we get that right. Paul, good morning. Hey, good to be with you, Guy. So the Chevy was supposed to be, and I mean, I, I can't think of a car that I've been as excited to hear about, but is also uh, excited to see what its sticker is going to say. Have they delivered mm-hmm. on their promise to give us an EV at $30,000? Well, uh, we can give you a no with an asterisk. Uh, they came in at just short of $35,000 for the base 1LT model, the uh the Equinox did not come in at 30. However, uh, unlike most EVs on the market right now, it does qualify for the $7,500 in federal tax credits. So, how long do we have to wait for the LT, or are they going to put out the loaded versions first? Uh, they're going to put the slightly higher version, a few thousand bucks higher. Okay. Uh, the LT will be out later this year, so a few months. Not, not. We're not talking what Tesla does, which is. Maybe or never. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we should see it soon. And so here's the good part. When you do add the $7,500 or taking account, $7,500, which you now are able to take and apply as a down payment under uh, mm-hmm. revised federal rules, uh, the the 1LT will start at about 27.5, which is uh, not a bad number. Paul, does Will that lower price uh, calm any infrastructure anxiety that people still have about EVs? Look, there's so many different concerns that people have. Some of them valid, some not. Uh, no, some people are going to be still worried. Oh, where's my charging? Where where am I going to be able to charge in Dwajiak or <laughs> some other uh, remote place when they when once every two or three years they might drive through that location. Now, the reality is the the uh, range numbers are pretty darn good. The front wheel drive version of the uh, of of the new Equinox will be able to get 315 miles, which is a darn good number. It's uh, some of the best in the segment. Uh, you know, you're seeing other vehicles, similar vehicles, uh, similar sized vehicles, which are getting as little as 220 miles range. Uh, the all-wheel drive versions, which will follow, that will probably come out late this year. Uh, they're still getting 285 miles, which is, again, very, very good. Uh, Paul, I was going to ask you about the range, so you took care of that. Uh, we're waiting for uh, an EV that, you know, clicks with the consumer. Could this be it? I think this is a good-looking vehicle. Uh, there's a lot of features, particularly on the slightly higher versions uh, and all the way up. Uh, as you can expect, the, the one that will come in 27 and change with the federal tax credits uh, is going to be fairly basic. But uh, 
it won't be the usual stripper model. There will be some nice, nice features on it. Uh, so um, I, I think people may find this attractive. Uh, you, we're going to have to wait, though. When, if, if you're looking for the $20,000 entry-level model, we're just going to have to wait. Uh, but they are coming. We, we do think that they're coming. Uh, Tesla reportedly is working on a vehicle that will come in before credits at about $25,000. Uh, it, it's at least uh, we in the media are referring to it as a Tesla Model 2. And then you probably heard that Ford Motor Company has launched a program. Uh, they're calling it a Skunk Works program, set up almost as an independent company operating away from their, their main EV operations. And that's also going to target a vehicle uh, that will come in somewhere just around or slightly north of $25,000 before the federal tax credits. And are those the, the, the big yet-to-comes in addition to the, the Equinox? The Equinox is, is uh, getting a lot of ink, but what, what other choices might consumers have? Oh, there's a lot of things out there. There's in the affordability category, I guess. Uh, you're going to have the Volvo EX30 coming out. Uh, that also will push into the, the low, mid $30,000 range. Okay. Uh, if you lease it, you'll be able to get the federal tax credit. Uh, it normally doesn't apply to that. You know, this is the trick I think a lot of folks haven't figured out yet. Uh, under the strange, strange federal uh, federal incentive rules that we have, uh, you only about, what, 15 or so of the EVs out there qualify for that $7,500 tax credit. But if you lease the vehicles, a lot more qualify. Well, and, and, you know, depending on which way the political winds blow, we don't know how long we're going to be able to hang on to that tax credit. We, we've seen the, the EV sales line is continuing to head in the upper right-hand direction, but it has kind of flattened out. Will this give that a jump start and maybe steepen that sales increase? I, I think you're right, yeah. Um one of the things that you're going to see automakers do is start to talk more about being able to ta get the tax credits on a lot more EVs if you lease. And, and, you know, leasing has been very popular. It's a very good way to cut, to cut your monthly payments. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, EV sales grew. Here's a critical thing. EV sales grew over 800% between 2019 and 2023. Uh, so that, that's huge growth. Uh, you, you, you haven't seen that very often in the industry for anything else, any, anything new. Uh, but last year they started to flatten out. They're growing at about the same pace as the overall U.S. new car market right now. Uh, here's a critical thing that people sort of are misunderstanding. The growth is there, and for the first time ever, last year Americans bought a million EVs. Um. Uh, we had the uh, Chicago Auto Show, you know, chairman or the head of it on our show, and he was very excited. Um, are people showing up? Is it as a good show? It's a smaller show, a lot smaller. Um, ooh, it would be sort of like cutting uh, cutting in half the number of halls at Kobo uh, that were used. Um, hmm. So, yeah, it, it's very much downsized. Uh, and remember, there are two shows. The auto shows are typically two in one. When you have the big shows like Detroit, New York, L.A., and Chicago, uh, there's the public show, and then there is the uh, media show. Mm -hmm. 
And it's from a media standpoint, it was very, very small. We only had one brand, which was Kia, introduce new products in Chicago this year. Right. It had two products, but only one brand. Uh, but the good news for uh, at least for the uh, organizers and for the public that want to see things, uh, there's still a lot to see there. In fact, it's the first public showing of the uh, Tesla Cybertruck. All righty then. So, but you, you saw a pretty good gate there, though, in Chicago. The, the organizers are pleased. Ask, yeah, asking for it, a friend uh, down at Huntington Place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the turnout, the public turnout, looked like it was pretty good. I mean, I, I didn't stand there and uh, you know those little clickers that they used to count people passing through the turnstiles. Yeah. Uh, so I, I really don't have a good way to judge yet. But uh, when I happened to be there, I was. Uh, on the air, in fact, with uh, one of the local Chicago stations on Saturday morning. Uh, and I was there while the public uh, started to trickle in. Uh, and there were a lot of people outside. There were a lot of people in line waiting for the show to open. All right. Paul, thanks so much for bringing us up to date. We'll await the orders on the Chevy Equinox, see if it's the hit that it's predicted to be, and uh, if that can help kind of spike more interest in EVs. Appreciate your time. Hey, good to be with you. All right, Paul Eisenstein, and you can find Paul's reporting at headlight.news. By the way, uh, Secretary of Transportation Buttigieg keeps making it. It's, it's, you know, he's trying to pitch EVs and he's trying to criticize Trump at the same time. But he keeps using this comparison that people that are reluctant to get in an EV are like those that still like their rotary phone. Mm. How insulting and Marie Antoinette is that? <laughs> I mean, do you really what? think you're going to win over hearts and minds by insulting somebody that is expressing as a consumer real concerns that this might not be right for them? Right. Oh, you're, you know, he kind of he's kind of insisting that we're all just a bunch of knuckle dragging Luddites who are resisting this inevitable wave of, of the future. We're not there yet on a no. lot of fronts. And, and it's OK. And we're not there. I just think that it's is okay. such a tone deaf analogy. And he's not helping his case by using it. When we come back, Michigan universities, we know that there is a a new effort out there to bring two years of free community college to all Michiganders that want it. What will that do to four-year universities? Is it stealing students or is it adding them in the long run? We'll have that discussion next on JR Morning. 6.50 on your Tuesday morning and Jamie and Lloyd have yet to pick up a punch key. You guys have incredible have you? Are no, you on your diet? No, I did. I, you did see me sneak out, but it wasn't for a punch. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, no, not yet. I will probably. Do you, do you want to split one three ways? Is that yes, way we do that it? That sounds like free? a good okay. portion. All right. It's just like it's, it becomes almost like communion on Fat Tuesday. And that's tomorrow. <laughs> um, it is a, a really intriguing proposal under Governor Whitmer's new budget. And that is finding a way to offer community college, two years of free community college, to each and every Michigander that wants it. <clears throat> All part of the plan to try to boost our population and also raise the level of skills and education amongst uh, Michigan's working population. But are we to some degree robbing Peter to pay Paul? Dan Hurley is CEO of Michigan Association of State Universities. He speaks on behalf of the four-year institutions here in the state of Michigan. And uh, the CEO of the MASU joins us live this morning. Dan, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. And I, I bet you haven't had a punchki yet, have you? 
I have not. Okay. I'm behaving myself. Well, the pushers are out there. Your punchki check for everyone we talk to. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Have you had your punchki? Uh, Give us a sense of of where you folks are here, because it seems like it could put more Michiganders into the pipeline that will consider four-year institutions, but it may take some of your folks uh, in their freshman and sophomore years. How do you view the, the overall impact of this? Well, the first thing I would say is uh, we are very appreciative of the leadership that Governor Whitmer has put forth in the last several years to improve college affordability for all students, whether they're enrolled in the community colleges, the public universities. Uh, we've really seen a, a generational uh, impact on college affordability, and that's with bipartisan support. So that's important context. Um, as it involves the community college guarantee, as the governor has uh, named it, um, there is, uh, we're not, you know, uh, it's not a sector on sector opposition. We are simply analyzing the impact, potential impact of free community college. And yes, you had indicated, uh, you know, the issue on enrollment. And we are, uh, as you know, a grain state. The diminishing high school pipeline. Uh, when you look at the regional universities, we've seen a 27% uh, decrease in enrollment over the last 10 years. We have finally turned that around thanks to the Michigan Achievement Scholarship. But when you look at uh, Tennessee, for example, it's the first state that put forth free community college, they saw a pretty significant immediate impact on freshman enrollment among their regions regional public universities and so that's what we're we're looking at and seeing you know uh, what the impact might be here in michigan and what other state investments might be put forth to uh, try a little bit more parity uh, for students that choose to enroll at a michigan public university so there may be some win-win opportunities out there and that's what we're going to be looking into in the, the weeks and months ahead uh, Dan, kind of piggybacking on what uh, Guy was talking about, um, will this maybe make uh, public universities, the four-year universities, will, will you garner more diversity because of something like this? Because if you get kids who would never think about going to a four-year college, they get two years of free uh, tuition in a community college, and they decide, I'm going to stay on, you get a lot of kids from the urban communities across the state that might not have decided to go. And they, now they say, you know, I want to go, which increases your diversity on your campuses. Yes, that is very important. I would say with the, the Michigan Achievement Scholarship uh, that is now in place, that's $5,500 a year for students enrolling in a public university, uh, which is, is equivalent to about a 30 to a 45% discount off the price of tuition based on uh, what uh, university they attend. And the fact that the public universities already put forth over a billion dollars a year in financial aid to students. Uh, you tack on uh, federal student aid, and it really adds up to the fact that uh, the public universities are, are very affordable and uh, doing a lot of work to uh, outreach to all types of communities mm-hmm. in the state. And for example, one is the uh, 10 of our universities came together a few months ago and created the Michigan Assured Admission Pact, which assures admission to any Michigan high school graduate with a 3.0 or a higher high school GPA. So it's initiatives like that that are 
are certainly uh, encouraging uh, all types of uh, underrepresented populations uh, to enroll in our public universities. Mm-hmm. Dan, you kind of just said it, but I was wondering if there's free a free path to a community college, then perhaps that it would be more competitive from the four-year universities. But you sort of just mentioned that. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, I'm not... Like, uh, there sure would be we're... more offerings from the four-year institutions to get people to go there. Yeah, I mean, they said so there is a lot of financial aid. There's uh, uh, Most of our universities have a, a kind of an income-based uh, free tuition guarantee. That's on our website, masu.org, to learn more about that. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, it, it's... One thing that also needs to uh, be considered here um, is, you know, the the diversity of programs at the four-year level, all of the benefits of residing in a residential uh, campus for your first, uh, you know, two years. For the college experience. uh, Exactly, exactly. And and, uh, we fully understand it, you know, nationally, when you look at – community colleges, a lot of the population, of course, are working adults. They're not even necessarily there to earn a full associate's degree. Uh, But when you do look at the final outcomes in terms of degree attainment, um, you know, the the outcomes are much stronger at the four-year institutional level. So so we're looking at all that. We are great partners, all of our universities, with our state community colleges. And here in Lansing, we work uh, every day with our partners. Uh, at the, the Community College Association. And so again, our, our goal here is to lift all boats and all the passengers on the boats, i.e. the students, and uh, uh, without sort of detrimentally impacting um, any set of institutions. And so, so I do think there is opportunity here to build off of the uh, significant momentum that we've seen in Michigan in the last few years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm hopeful that we'll we'll find a a mutually beneficial way to benefit uh, all students enrolled in all of the states, two and four-year universities. And so are we. Dan Hurley, we appreciate you. CEO of Michigan Association of State Universities. Hopefully your Valentine uh, plans are all firmed up. Uh, trying to get something on Resi and Open Table at this point might be a bit of a challenge. You've got it. You've got dinner plans, Jamie. I have dinner plans. When you have a little baby, she's going to be sleeping, and my husband is going to cook for me tomorrow night. Now, is he cooking or is he heating? There- <laughs> I have not asked him any details. I'm just not doing anything, and there apparently will be a meal for us to enjoy. Speaking on behalf of a lot of husbands in America, we sometimes have trouble distinguishing between the two. Well, you yeah. told we me do- Gail could be on speed dial for I, him. I'll let I, him know. I know that Gail will offer her best Betty Crocker <laughs> helpline, kind of like the, you know how they had the hotline on Thanksgiving? Yeah, yeah. The, tur- oh, the, yeah butterball the turkey, turkey, turkey hotline. Yeah. <laughs> she can be your butterball hotline if, if Ryan has a, ch- a, a cooking challenge. She has okay. provided that incredible service because <laughs> she is uh, the best. Lloyd's romantic dinner will be this weekend, It'll not be this Wednesday. Weekend because my wife is working a double. She's a caretaker. You know, yeah. she works in a home, uh, and so she's going to be working a double on that night. So we will do it on the weekend. Doesn't mean she isn't going to be spreading love and care, though. Oh, absolutely. It's an important thing she to do, too. She always does that, uh, Yeah, she yeah. does, man. I mean, you know, she, look at it. She packs my little stuff in here in the morning. Well, we've got a couple's <laughs> euchre thing planned, which is Yeah, you're really, doing a group thing. Yeah, we're doing a group thing. So it should be uh, should be fun. 
A, a lot of questions answered, but many more remaining down in Houston after the attack on, on Joel Osteen's Lakewood Church. First of all, got to say, these two off-duty officers who stood their ground yeah. against this woman who opened fire with an AR-15, they had two handguns, she had a semi-automatic rifle. I can't imagine the level of courage that it takes to stand your ground. Right. I mean, God bless these two off-duty officers who just happened to be there who saved the day. But what I find interesting about this is that this is a woman who walked into the Texas mega church on Sunday afternoon with this long gun and her seven-year-old son. She opened fire. Uh, We're told she shot about 30 rounds before these off-duty officers were able to take her down. Uh, She is uh, identified as Genesee Yvonne Moreno, and she's just 36 years old. All of these details are sort of like unique to this story. And brought a child, her her, seven-year-old child. Her son also was hit in the head, and they don't know which shot or whose shot hit him in the head. But, and it doesn't but really matter. But she's the one that put her yeah. son in danger. Right. I'm Whomever. sorry. Exactly. Yes, because the other off-duty officers were <laughs> saving the other people in the church. And I know one of the officers, from what I understand, uh, who participated in this, had you know just not too long ago finished the active shooter drill. It went through active shooter training. Which, ma- which really matters. Yes. It is so important. But um, why do we have to do that in this country? I say I this know, all I the know. time at churches, movie theaters, schools. But to your point mm. about her her gender here, um, th- there's looking at mass shootings going back to 1982. 143 shooters are male, four exactly. are female. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been some combos w- with males and females together that have launched the attack. I think the one in San Bernardino was being the most notable example. But this is extraordinarily rare. Mm-hmm. And she, there was an anti-Semitic writings there and and uh, sentiments that she had put on display because her ex-spouse i think was a jewish american f- right his family his family yes yeah. she wrote palestine on the gun there were some things found in her home um her son is in critical condition she is dead and now you move forward and they're saying that this happened in between services so right. if this would have happened during <clears throat> service this wow. would have been much much worse there is about, an injured man who was shot in the leg i think he was released from the hospital and you're talking about forty five thousand members of lakewood church forty five thousand members it's an old basketball arena it is right yeah. it was the Houston where the houston, the houston rockets, rockets played used to play. it's a mm-hmm. huge huge uh, facility um there is some we understood she had a number of aliases one of them was male and so there are is there a lot of noise on social media about her being trans Houston police came out yesterday and said unequivocally, the information that we have up to this moment is she didn't identify as anything other than a Hispanic female. Okay. Um, So that they seem to close the door on that. Maybe Mm -hmm. there's more out there, but it it certainly appears. But again, even makes it more inexplicable. And what mother brings a seven-year-old child? puts her son in that position. That is Unless she wanted it to be a murder-suicide by cop. Exactly. But one last point. These off-duty officers, one's 28-year-old Houston Police Department officer, one's 38-year-old agent of the Texas Alcoholic Beverage Commission, both with less than five years of service. So they just started, and look at what they've done. So congrats to them for saving a lot of lives. And also, you know, prayers for all involved. I, I the the guy from the alcohol uh, agency said yesterday neither one of those guys went to that service on Sunday expecting to use their weapon absolutely not and now they they have in defense of others 
still killed another human being right. and put a, perhaps put a child in the hospital because of the crossfire, which will it'll be a while before we know that. But yeah. I, 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 my heart just breaks for those individuals as well mm-hmm. uh, who showed incredible bravery. Uh, what is going on uh, with the parents who would rent a hotel room for a bunch of 15-year-old guys? A 15-year-old from uh, Ferndale fighting for his life after being shot at a Southfield hotel. Southfield police responding to a call at the Weston Hotel on Town Center Drive on Sunday morning. They discovered the teen with a gunshot wound and rushed him to the hospital. The circumstances surrounding the shooting are kind of troubling. I mean, according to Southfield Police Chief Elvin Barron, the victim was among a group of unsupervised 15-year-olds in a hotel room. I'll be very candid with you. This is very difficult to explain. And I'm not in the greatest of mood because of it. Because I have to explain to the community how a group of 15-year-olds are left at a hotel room unsupervised that had access to weapons. Police say they're investigating how the teens were left alone in the room, but they say that an adult may have obtained a room online and then turned it over to the kids. Investigators uh, reveal up to five teens were present. One found carrying two handguns. One of the guns was stolen. The other one was unregistered. He is in custody. Police say there are currently two counts of carrying a concealed weapon pending in that case. A search of the room also discovered marijuana, psychedelic mushrooms, and live ammunition. Authorities urging anyone with information to come forward, call Southfield Police or uh, Crime Stoppers 1-800-SPEAK-UP. Guy, once again, an incident which highlights the concerns uh, over parental supervision and teens' access to guns. I was just thinking, when I was 15, my parents knew where I was at all times. Yes, and they would yeah. not rent me a room when I'm 15 years old. To party, a, a party it's, spot. No, it's yeah. not going to happen. But you bring up the ideas of kids and guns. Keeping guns out of the hands of kids is the very focus of one of three laws taking effect today. This was after both the incident at Oxford and MSU. We're going to break down what your responsibilities are as a parent with a gun in the home and what you can do if you're concerned that someone in your uh Family sphere is a danger to themselves or others. The red flag law taking effect as well. We'll be discussing that with a firearms expert and a lawyer just ahead on JR Morning at 719. But time for WJR's Business Beat brought to you by Shelving.com. We rack your world. Let's check in with Jeff Sloan, founder and CEO of Startup Nation. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Guy, Lloyd, Jamie. You know what we really need? We need more ways to shop and spend money as consumers. Okay, well, maybe not. Nonetheless, there's no stopping the pursuit of myriad ways to shop and spend as Americans these days. One big trend gaining steam, it's shoppable TV. A new report from LG Ad Solutions says that nearly 30% of connected TV users have made a purchase directly from their TV screens over the last 90 days. And 51% of CTV users say they wish they could shop using their TV. Now, while this is still a growing channel for shopping, it's still early in its evolution. For comparison, 56% are buying products via mobile phones these days, 45% from laptops or desktop, 31% from in-store, and 31% from tablets, just by way of comparison. So what's powering this new shopping revolution? Well, for starters, 71% of CTV users say they are always holding their phones while watching TV. And that combination of tech could cost you dollars. Now, the top three methods of buying products, services via TV advertising are sending a text message for information and discounts, scanning a QR code in the ad, 
and voice activation via remote or smart speakers. 48% of CTV users have scanned at least one QR code over the last three months, leading to a purchase of a product right off their TV. The top categories of items selling to consumers these days via connected TV, it's clothing, electronics, automotive, appliances, and groceries. Now look, as business owners operating in an environment where you have so many bases to cover when it comes to trying to achieve an omni-channel approach these days, add one more to your list. I'm Jeff Sloan, founder and CEO of StartupNation.com, the source for everything you need to start and grow your own business. And that's today's business beat on the great voice of the Great Lakes, WJR. As Michigan braces for the implementation of three pivotal firearm regulations signed into law by Governor Whitmer last year, the landscape of gun ownership and safety undergoes a transformative shift. Effective today, firearm owners must adhere to stringent guidelines dictating the secure storage of unattended weapons, particularly in the presence of children. Additionally, these laws herald expanded universal background checks on all firearm purchases and they grant judges the authority to order law enforcement intervention in cases of perceived risk to individuals of public safety. Now, joining us on the JR Morning Live line to explore the implications of these uh, measures and on the community and responsible gun ownership is Bill Cusick. He is a retired Oakland County Sheriff's Deputy and owner of Action Impact Gun Range and Firearms. Bill, good morning. Uh, good morning, Lord. How are you doing? We're great. Um, also, uh, these laws that are going into effect, are they going to keep us and our kids safer? No. And, I, and unfortunately, they won't. I mean, I, I'm the first guy to stand in line and wish that they would. Uh, but I don't think they're going to. I don't think there's going to be practical application. I think, if anything, they're going to make everything a whole lot harder. You know, we've struggled this. We've struggled with implementing this for the last three days. There's very little guidance. There's no resources for us as dealers. And when I say us, I mean, I'm talking, I've talked to six dealers yesterday, and there's six different understandings of what we're supposed to do and not do. We've reached out to governmental agencies, and we're roadblocked. And I was absolutely amazed. I was stunned uh, Friday and yesterday as to how little guidance there is for us as dealers. Bill, we should talk on, in addition to being a, a retailer, you're also an attorney, yep. former SWAT team guy. Um, just give me a, an idea that as a parent, if I have a gun in the home, what responsibilities do I have now, or perhaps exposure, that I didn't have uh, before this law took effect? So in terms of the safe storage law, what kind of storage uh, protocols am I supposed to be making? Okay, well, you're supposed to, anytime your firearm is unattended, it has to then be secured and locked in an inoperable state. So if you're not going to have your firearm on you or anticipate using it, you're going to have to have it locked up when you have children in the house. There's, God, when I read this law, it's like, I, I feel like I never became an attorney because I'm having a hard time deciphering it. So... There's exceptions if, if someone under the age of 18 defend themselves. So then you have to ask yourself this question, well, how would they defend themselves with a firearm if they didn't have access to it? So there's a great deal of confusion. So your obligation now is you didn't have there, – there wasn't a law that told you yesterday to lock up your gun. 
there is now. So it, it's actually all going to be retroactive. It's going to be something that <clears throat> is enforced after a horrible incident. That's all it's going but to But it do. would have given prosecutors something to hang their hat on beyond gross negligence in the Crumbly case, wouldn't they? 100%. Yes, absolutely. So then let's call it what it is. Let's not say it's necessarily going to change lives. Let's say it's going to penalize parents, and it should. I have no issue with any of that. Um, but my interest is getting this message through. So we're required to post so much from these new laws. You have to post them on your exits and your points of sale. I also have requirements to post, right? And those don't go away. So now I'm going to have five or six documents that are posted throughout the store. Over the last 17 years, I've watched if anybody read them. And I'm going to tell you that they don't. Yeah. So, and then what we're supposed to hand out we had to search it down. We had I had to put a ton of man hours into finding what we're supposed to do, and I was stunned. And I don't think I didn't reach out to the governor's office. I've reached out to the attorney general's office. I've reached out to the state police, Department of Health and Human Services, the local departments. We've done all that. And, you know, at 10 o'clock this morning, I'm hoping I got it right. Yeah. Sir, do you think it is the... Um sort of lack of transparency on how to move forward that is the problem. At its core, locking guns up when minors are in the house seems good to me. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's I think it's common sense. And I think if you have to tell people to do that, then I feel I don't think you have a listening audience. That I've always said that. If you have to tell people, hey, you've got a dangerous gun here and you've got children in the house, you should lock it up. Really who are you talking to? Who doesn't know that? What adult doesn't know that? Well, there are a ton of cases in Detroit that Lloyd and I yeah. talk about in the whips guy, too. And so I think there are people out there that don't do it. Perhaps this could be a deterrent. I agree they don't do it. Well, OK, so let's let's talk about this. and Let's be honest about it, I suppose. And let me reiterate, first guy in line that wants this gun safety. I do it on a daily basis, not just once a year for a political campaign. I do it every day. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. Those people aren't listening to your program. Those people aren't reading the Detroit News and the Detroit Free Press. They're not researching websites and information online. They're not reading postings in their store. They're not reading the handouts we give them. They're not listening to us when we try to get it through to them. I gave free gun safety classes for over a year. And I think in that year, I think I had five parents come in. Good Lord. Now you need to think about that. That's out of 52 weeks. Wow. Now, and then we look at these background checks. Here's what's ironic about this whole thing. The background checks we did yesterday are the best background checks that can be done. They're conducted through the FBI. They are superior to the ones that the state does. That's not a knock on the state. The federal government has access to more information. So if you don't have one starting today, you need two background checks. You have to go to your police department, get a permit with a background check. And we still have, when you come to buy a gun from us, we still have to do our background check. And the one we're doing is going to be better than the one you already had. Bill, let me. Uh, we got less than a minute, but I, I got to ask you about the red flag laws and how do you think sure. those are going to work as far as, you know, people who are maybe hurting themselves and, and uh, have weapons available to them? Okay, so I kind of put a realistic touch on that. A, I don't think they're going to be used that much, so I'm not 
too worked up about them. And I advise police officers on what they can and can't do. Right? I have clients like that. But at the same time, let's, Lord, just real quick, let's think about this. If at 7 o'clock at night you're in contact with an individual who indicates they want to hurt themselves or others, what are you going to do? You're not waiting until the next morning to go file this petition. You're going to call your police department, hopefully, and they're going to have to take the action, the same action they have for the last 50 years. That would be my guess. And then the next morning, everything's settled down between you and this other person. The police are going to be left with this information. What do we do with it? So do you let that that volatile situation exist all night long, or do you somehow file your, your petition? So I, you know, I just don't see where it's going to impact, because uh, Chicago, I think, used it four times in over a year. Yeah. Bill Cusick. Right. Bill, thank you. We are running out okay. of time. Uh, thank you so much, Bill Cusick, retired Oakland County Sheriff's Deputy Attorney and owner of Action Impact Gun Range and Firearms. We appreciate you this morning. Carving of the Punchki. We oh, wow. we treated it like Thanksgiving. We divided one three different ways, and we've convinced ourselves that we are being responsible and health conscious. No, I did that because then I could try more flavors if I shared with you some oh, of the so jelly. When's, when's flavor? When's round two? Uh, maybe in the eight o'clock hour. Okay. Well, in, in the meantime, <laughs> I'm like one of Pavlov's pups over here. I'm just, I, I'm still just, yeah. That that punchki did me in, and we owe it all to our good friend Debbie Dingle. Congresswoman from Michigan's uh, 6th District, carrying on this uh, marvelous uh, uh, tradition that started with her husband many, many years ago. Good morning, Debbie, and thank you. Good morning to all of you. I am glad you are enjoying them, and there are lots of different flavors, so you can keep eating all morning. Yes. (laughs) Happy Punchy Day. And this was a tradition of your husband, wasn't it? He, You know, he began this, I think it started before I ever married him, so this is you know, four decades old. He, his family was Polish. They came over from Poland. They shortened their name to Dingle. And, you know, I think rituals and traditions are something that are really important. They tie us generation to generation together, but we help learn about other people's backgrounds and culture. And and so it's a, it's a wonderful Polish tradition. It makes me miss John a lot today. But it also just really tastes good before we give up whatever we're giving up for lunch tomorrow. Yeah. You say in your letter here to us that this is a way to remember him and others who love this day. It's true. I do. You know, it, it Lent's early this year, so his anniversary was only last week. So it's hard. I miss John Dingle. I'm not going to lie to you. So all. do we. We do. Yes. Great man. And um, we had a love affair. But this is. Punsky Day is also a day to celebrate life and and the, the, the traditions. And it's a great tradition for Detroit. They can have their Mardi Gras down in New Orleans. We have our Punsky Day in Michigan. Yeah, I, so I grew up on the west side of the state, which was mostly Dutch. They, they don't, you know, we would do our street sweeping thing and have tulip time over in oh, Holland. Yeah, in but Holland. We, mm-hmm. you, can't, you can't eat a wooden shoe. <laughs> Uh, this is, this is something special. So this was a wonderful tradition that I was exposed to when I first came here 40 years ago. So you say he shortened his name. What was, what were the Dingles before they were Dingles? Yeah. Dinklevich. They were Dinklevich and they actually came into Texas. Uh, and then his father moved up to Detroit or his grandfather, uh, moved to Detroit in the early 1900s. So. 
it's but you know Michigan's always had a very strong Polish tradition. Amtramic has mm-hmm. had so many of the different traditions that have carried on. I mean, we have a we have many of the rich uh, Western European countries where we people have come from. We should celebrate our heritage. And you say don't worry about calories. There are a bunch of flavors and boxes here right in front of us. What's your favorite? Oh, chocolate. I'll always be a chocolate <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's the Boston cream pie one, which is also kind of uniquely Detroit uh, mm-hmm. in, in a way. Um, t- tell me, in, just in terms of religious traditions, what this this forthcoming week and this, this period means to you in, in terms well, of reflection. For Catholics and for Christians, Ash Wednesday is tomorrow and we enter into the season of Lent. And, you know, for so long, so many of us have given up things and many of us will give up things. But I really try to use it now as a time to practice a, a, an act of kindness that I wouldn't, that I overtly think about each day to reflect upon what it means and what it means for our religion and the values that we have in common with all religions. I am a Catholic girl. I'm the first to admit it. The nuns have instilled in me the values that I bring to my job every single day, and I'm proud of it. So, yep, this is an important week to me as a Catholic woman. And, Congresswoman, the uh, Senate passed this uh, $95 billion foreign aid bill with assistance to Ukraine and uh, Israel this morning. Uh, It's going to set up a showdown in the House. What do you think is going to happen? I mean, it seems like uh, Speaker Mike Johnson has already criticized it and said it was dead on arrival. So um, this seems to be the world I live in, showdown in the House. We have to, there are just certain responsibilities that we have. We have got to get humanitarian aid to Gaza. We have got to get aid to Ukraine. It really is democracy around the world. And I do believe that the Soviet Union and Putin are a danger to freedom everywhere and to world peace. We're going to, well, I know I've spoken with some Republicans who know that we have to get something done. They're talking about doing their own bill. Will there, you know, the Republicans, by the way, they've been screaming for border security and immigration reform, which, by the way, we've needed for decades. And it's hard and we never get it done. Republican presidents, Democratic presidents, because when it gets hard, people run away from it. I thought we would actually get it done this time. Donald Trump didn't want to give anybody a win, especially the Democrats. And I'll tell you something I feel very strongly I wasn't sent to Washington to get a win for Democrats or to watch Republicans get a win. We were sent to Washington to win for the American people. I don't know what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. I've made it very clear I will work with Republicans to get something done. I do think we need uh, something to happen at the border. I think we need immigration reform, but we must get aid to Ukraine and we must get aid to Gaza. Perhaps if you send some punch keys Mike Johnson's way, you know, you can That's soft, the olive branch. You can you, you can soften them. Yeah. Yeah. If not an well, olive branch, a, a, a punch key. A punch key branch. Mike Johnson is a friend. I mean, we talk every week. So I had done legislation with him. I don't think he ever thought he would be speaker. And I don't think I yeah. thought he would be speaker. It's a very tough job. And he's got a very raucous caucus. But, you know. People send us to Washington to work together, to find that common ground, to solve problems, not to be in this chaos, which, quite frankly, has been the way this entire Congress has been, the chaos Congress. 
There were Republicans who voted for this Ukraine aid in the Senate. Possibly there could be some bipartisan support in the House. Uh, we talked to Ryan Schmelz this morning at 619, and he was saying there's a way to get this voted somehow if there's some bipartisan support. There will be bipartisan support. I've spoken to Republicans who believe strongly that we need to support Ukraine. We'll have to look and see how this develops. Do they do their own bill that that comes to the floor and then we'll have the crisis of trying to conference it? Uh, I think we'll have to see what develops in the next few days. The one thing I can tell you about the Congress this year is it's extremely unpredictable. You just don't know what's going to happen. But I wish we would focus less on theater. We're going to have try to impeach the Homeland Security Secretary again. It may or may not succeed. But why are we doing that? We already know the Senate is taking it nowhere. Why are we not rolling up our sleeves in tackling the tough problems that, quite frankly, everybody wants to see us tackle, Republicans and Democrats? Well, like taking the border bill that was proposed last week or taking H.R. 2, stripping it down, rebuilding it into something that maybe both sides could support so that we can stem the tide here. Um, on this on this day when we're kind of celebrating immigrants, uh, we're celebrating the immigrants that came here legally and brought some really tasty stuff with them and 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 some wonderful traditions. And those are things that we should be celebrating. And those traditions, those cultural backgrounds are the melting pot of who we yeah. are in this country. And we should we should remember the, these ties that tie us together from generation to generation. They're wonderful things. So yeah. I'm going to go back and keep working. You know me, I never give up. And I do work across the aisle. And I will work across the aisle. And never underestimate the power of a punchka. Uh, <laughs> Debbie Dingle, we thank you so much for the treats this morning and for your time. Thank you. Happy Punchki Day. Happy, <laughs> Happy Punchki Day. Day and a wonderful Lent as as well. You know, while we're celebrating these delicacies, if you like really rich culinary experiences, then you ought to come along with Gail and me because we're heading off to Cambodia and Vietnam. And my goodness, the Southeast Asian cuisine is something that everybody raves about. This has become one of the biggest travel destinations out there right now. Hotter than hot. And we're going to be experiencing it with our WJR Travel Club members on our very own Mekong River Luxury River Boat. We'll be traveling up the Mekong, sampling all the delicacies of Southeast Asia, meeting the people. And that's the most important part of any cruise and tour event is that you meet these people that just help you enrich your experience. And it will be a 13-day immersive experience. You can learn more about it by going to wjrtravelclub.com. But whatever questions you may have, we've got people ready to answer all of them. Toll-free, 800-383-3131. 1-800-383-3131. This will be our third trip with the WJR Travel Club. The best part is you, the people that we meet from the WJR audience to experience it with. It's like having a, a members of your family. And we invite you to join us for what will be an epic journey. Visit WGRTravelClub.com. We're about 40 minutes away from an important report uh, that will determine how we are doing in the battle against inflation. It will be the monthly CPI report, uh, Consumer Price Index, and that's due up at around 830. In the meantime, man, oh, man, if you've been watching what's been happening on Wall Street, you're going to get a nosebleed because yesterday uh, in intraday trading, 
NASDAQ hit a high. S&P 500 hit a high. Dow hit a high. Uh, the S&P and NASDAQ kind of retrenched later on in the day, leaving the Dow the lone record-setting number to end trading. Nevertheless, it's been a pretty good run. What does it mean for our 401ks, our retirement accounts, and how high is up? We bring in Chris Alberta, sometimes host here on WJR, as he was yesterday, but uh, his day job is president of Principium Tactical Wealth Management. Chris, good morning. Hey, Guy, what's happening, Guy and crew, I should say? It's uh, <laughs> it's all good, I guess. If You know, it's one of those mornings where, you you know, you check the futures and it looks like the Dow is in a pretty good place to on the open. Uh, that may change with the news at 8.30. What is driving this these these new highs and these records? Well, I, don't, I mean, honestly, that's a bit of anybody's guess because a lot of the fundamentals point to the same stuff. I mean, you and I talked uh, the better part of a month ago. Momentum sometimes begets momentum. I mean, historically, when you come off of an up year like we had in 23, January is you know readily gettable. There's a lot of optimism there. When, when January goes well and then February also goes well, typically, historically, about 75% of the time, you have, you know, that 15, 16% return pattern in that in that year in total. And that's great, because the end of the year, oftentimes, like, you know, the last quarter is the bulk of the year's earnings. So, I mean, there's a tremendous amount of optimism economically. We all look out and we say, geez, you know, prices are still high and gas is still kind of expensive. But Unemployment's not bad, and CPI's not as bad as it was. Inflation's not 9% anymore. I mean, there's a lot of good news out there, despite election year troubles and concerns, so on and so forth. It's Mm -hmm. not too shabby. CPI will tell us a lot, though. Later today, those reports might have shifted. Chris, is this a a broad rally or a magnificent seven? Well, I think it's some of both, Lloyd. I mean, you have, on one hand, you can absolutely make the case that 493 of the S&P 500 that should be our barometer are relatively lame. They're not really performing at some outstanding outstanding standard. The MAG-7 are doing price-to-earnings and price-to-book ratios that far exceed everything else. So they are certainly the driving force. They're the horsepower. They're the biggest part of the engine at the moment. But you got we got to remember too when we talk about the everyday consumer the 401k comment is sensitive because most people in their average 401k they're just buying mutual funds and those mm-hmm. mutual funds in most cases are not a mirror image of the S&P or the Dow they're a much more diluted version that's more moderate typically in terms of its target and so they're not going to see the same kind of return that they, they see on the news. That doesn't mean it's bad. It's just probably not quite as high. And when the lows are low, it's not quite as low. Well, I was going to ask you about just the regular investor. There's there's nothing to do right now with these numbers coming out, right? I mean, no. It, you know, Jamie, we, we all kind of sit there like talking heads and prognosticators. And even the smartest people in the industry, I was out of waste management last week and saw a lot of the talking heads and the brainiacs on the tech side. And, you know, it's it's like they all want to sound like they know what's going to happen. But honestly, they're all looking at each other like, well, I hope I'm right because then I'll owe you a beer, that kind of thing. So I think we will all watch and we'll see what happens with the CPI. Will that lead the Fed then to, to be compelled to make more cuts? They've kind of paced in, priced in, four to five more cuts, could be a 25 basis point cut here coming up. And if that's the case, that'll move the market a little bit. But for the average consumer, and certainly for my the quintessential retiree or pre-retiree that I see every day, 
there's not much to do except not overbet your hand, right? Like when you're playing blackjack, mm-hmm. there's $5 tables and there's $10 tables if you're a novice or if you're conservative, and there's $50 tables. And they can be fun, but they get you a lot of trouble too. The market's pretty overpriced still. Yeah. You know who overbet their hand? Some people at the Waste Management Open last week. <laughs> Listen, I wasn't one of them, but I was witness to quite a bit of it. And oh, sure. I was, I was fairly ashamed for humanity. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know that we want to call them humanity or that they reflect a, a consensus. Um, so when let, let's say that the uh, Labor Department's report comes in and that we're under 3%, and that's been the consistent a consensus estimate from the journal. Uh, will will that be enough, you think, to give Powell and company a, a chance to start cutting these rates? In fact, the rates have already been dropping. Yields were off yesterday, weren't they? Yeah, and I think that they probably will. It wouldn't be inappropriate for them to – I don't think they'll have, you know, a full round of three or four um, reductions over the course of the year, at least that the prognosticators are going to say that that's the most that they would do. But if we get one or two just to kind of keep things – you know, even Stephen, I think that's probably appropriate. But we're still seeing rates, you guys, that are on the good side in the fixed market. So when you look at things like treasuries, just above 4%, you look at a lot of the CD rates, uh, MIGA rates, like multi-year guarantee annuity rates, up in the high fives and low sixes for five and seven years. There's not too many time frames where you can say to a potential client, in my case, or you can just say to your friends, you know, look back, when was last time I could get a guaranteed 5 or 6% for the next five years? If you're going into a period of uncertainty, does that mean you throw the baby out with the bathwater and you stop, you know, shooting for the stars? No, but maybe you just shoot for the stars, you know, with a 20% of a portfolio rather than 70 or 80%, like so many people have been accustomed to doing. And Chris, considering the ongoing uh, market trends and, and these upcoming events, what what advice do you have? Any advice to offer investors that are navigating these kind of uncertainties? Well, Lloyd, I think the same advice that I, I typically give, is, it's almost overly cliche. This is very dependent on where, you at, where you're at in life. If I'm a 45-year-old and I'm working and I'm going to have a new paycheck every two weeks, and every two weeks some of that money is getting dollar cost average into my 401k, I can afford to be even overly optimistic. And if it goes down a touch or if it goes down a bunch for a minute, I'm buying things you know, disproportionately on sale. If I'm a person, though, who's 50, 55, 60, and I'm approaching retirement, and I don't have a pension anymore, and I'm going to be utilizing this money in my nest egg to supplement income in retirement, I'm I'm looking towards what is the safest way I can build this sucker out so that I'm only swinging for the fences. I'm only looking for home runs if I know it's going to be a fastball over the plate. I know I've used that a lot with you guys, but that's just the way it's the truth. Yeah. Right. We're going into a very odd year where there's a very eclectic election cycle that probably will see a massive shift in, in those who are running and the policies around it. And legislative policy doesn't push the market nearly as much as the pundits talk about. Mm-hmm. It, but I think in this cycle, it'll, it might be such a shakeup as we get into late summer that nothing is off the table. So let's enjoy it while it's rallying with yeah. record highs every week. But not forget that this is all we got. For many people, this is all they have to last them 20 or 30 years. Well, and understanding that the market also abhors uncertainty, and there is going to be buckets of that over the next few months and uh, past January. Chris Alberta, uh, by the way, great job in for uh, Paul W. yesterday. Always a pleasure to hear you when you're on, and we appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us. 
Thanks, you guys. Talk to you soon. Chris Alberta, president of Principium. We will have those inflation numbers, those CPI numbers, as soon as they come in at 8.30. Also, Coca-Cola Craft, Airbnb, Marriott with the big earnings reports. The market is signaling it's going to open a little bit higher, but that could all change abruptly at 8.30 when we get the Labor Department's uh, CPI numbers and we find out exactly what's happening with the battle against inflation. We'll have those for you in under 25 minutes or, or when they hit, but they're signaling it's going to be under 3%. And that would be a good thing. Meantime, we're going to be talking gas prices coming up at 819 with Patrick Ahan uh, from GasBuddy.com because, holy moly, uh, they took the biggest jump of the year. They're the highest they've been so far in 2024. And apparently it has a lot to do with a refinery that's in an inspection mode. And we'll find out what the long-term prognosis is for those prices here in our backyard. Uh, Meantime... The Super Bowl delivered the biggest Nielsen number for what? A single program. Yeah, huge numbers for the Super Bowl. We were waiting for these numbers. Total audience delivery of 123.4 million average viewers across all platforms. So that includes the television network, CBS, Nickelodeon, Univision, all of that streaming too. The most watched program ever, according to the press release I got. Guy has some other numbers when it comes to some historical things people watched previously. But my numbers say Super Bowl is the most watched program ever, averaging, like I said, 123.4 million. And more than 200 million viewers watched on all or part of the Super Bowl. So some tuned in and tuned back out. 200 million is a huge, huge number. And there was definitely a swift lift. No question. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it's and it is look. The NFL, they're America's game. Yeah. And, it's, yeah. and that's, that it is unquestioned. But you said the historical background is The, the historical possibly... background is the Apollo moon landing yeah. in 1969, where you had between 125 million and 150 million viewers. Over several TV networks, even three. though they're only like they were three just stations. Three. Yeah. They were just right. three. It's not like cable. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I remember <laughs> I watched it on a, I was at camp near Battle Creek as a kid, and we watched it on, like, a 15-inch screen. But, yeah, that was, you know, that probably drew more eyeballs in terms of percentage. Overall, yeah. Right? But it also, the Super Bowl brought some dads <clears throat> and daughters together, too. Yeah, we saw this. Anecdotal, sure. But at yeah. least someone I know posted that his daughter watched with him the whole game, and she wouldn't have before, but she wanted to see what Taylor was doing. And isn't that what it's all about? Yeah. It is. You know, if it brings families together, it's a good thing. Yeah. Um, so we will, uh, in the meantime, are we really to believe that the 49ers didn't check on what the OT rules were? And that was what's I don't believe claim that that was made. If that's true, that's malpractice. It really is. You deserve to lose. Right. Yeah. If you didn't didn't know know what your game plan was. Did, Did you guys know the rules? I thought that time was running down until Tony Romo said something. I'm like, they're not gonna get this quarter in, but. Apparently, it was another quarter of overtime. No, we didn't know the I rules, know. but we're not being paid. I mean, <laughs> yeah. the Chiefs knew the rules because they made the rule. Like, they were the one who submitted the rule to the NFL. So they knew that rule in and out. But I'm not surprised that the Niners didn't know the rules. Well, but it was an improvement over the previous OT. Both teams need to get the ball. Scenario. Don't you agree? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, it was a much fairer way uh, to determine the outcome of the game. But you talk about sour grapes to say, well, we really didn't understand the OT rules. Well, that's on you. No, right, I'm the exactly. Owner. I'm they the may owner. Have had, I'm tripping. They yeah. may have had an advantage having the ball next because if, say, Kansas City would have scored a field goal, then you know what San Francisco do. has a chance to win the game outright again. That's right. 
Yeah. Um, we know that here in the state of Michigan, here on February 13th, that some laws are changing. There are now universal background checks if you want to buy a firearm. We have a red flag law, which means that you can go to your sheriff or local law enforcement and get a petition against somebody that you believe might be a risk to themselves or others. In other states where this has happened, where it's been the most utilitarian is if you are a parent of, say, a 20-something son or maybe a 60-something, 70-something old older person who's uh, maybe suffering with depression, and you can take their guns away and perhaps prevent a suicide. There's not a lot of research that shows that red flag laws, you can say, make us safer or reduce violence, but they have shown a small reduction in su- in terms of, you know, suicide prevention. Bill Cusick, though, uh, raising the issue, and he is the owner of Target uh, Impact Firearms. Uh, he is a firearms dealer. He's also an attorney. He's also a former SWAT member with the Oakland County Sheriff's Department and said, you know, the problem is with these laws, nobody seems to be answering any questions that we have in the firearm retailer community. And I don't think I didn't reach out to the governor's office. I've reached out to the attorney general's office. I've reached out to the state police, Department of Health and Human Services, the local departments. We've done all that. And, you know, at 10 o'clock this morning, I'm hoping I got it right. As he opens his door for the first time under these new laws. But he's saying, look, we knew there was going to be a learning curve. We didn't know it was going to be this steep or that there would be so little response from those in authority in giving us guidance. Since they were the kind of ones that wrote and then propagated this law. We hope it makes our community safer. It would have had the Crumblies followed the law. But as one famous community once said, you can't fix stupid. And as harsh as that sounds, it's the truth. Oh. So the question is, will, are those that would leave a firearm out and not store it safely, are they really going to be compelled because the law changed today? As Bill Cusick pointed well, here's out. Here's to hoping. Not, yeah, yeah, here's to hoping. hoping. As Bill pointed out, and They're you can hear watching, the full interview at WJR.com, these are not the people that are looking to be informed. No. But if just one person does and it deters someone. Amen. That's, oh, yeah. Great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you got to start somewhere. Right, yeah. things right. are hard. And maybe a few well-placed prosecutions of people like the Crumblies mm-hmm. uh, will make others think twice. Meantime, some uh, rather extraordinary actions being taken up in Lansing. Yeah, Michigan House Speaker Joe Tate uh, has uh, taken a firm stance against racist rhetoric. Representative Josh Schreiber, a Republican from Oxford, faced repercussions from Tate after allegedly endorsing a racist theory on social media. The theory termed the Great Replacement has been debunked by the Southern Poverty Law Center for promoting false assertions about demographic shifts. Shriver's failure to remove the post made on February 6th prompted Tate to strip him of committee assignments and withhold certain resources. Tate emphasizing the House's commitment to inclusivity and condemned Shriver's promotion of divisive ideologies, releasing a statement that reads in part, the House of Representatives is the people's house and all Michiganders should look upon this body and take pride in how we conduct ourselves. It is a workplace and I have the responsibility to make sure the employees of the House feel safe and secure. And Guy, despite the disciplinary actions, Shriver, though, retains voting rights in the House. Exactly. So it will not disrupt the balance of power in the House, but it does send a message. You know, the whole idea that there is somehow this grand conspiracy that is depressing the birth rate and, you know, expanding the birth um, I don't know about you, but all of the 20 and 30-somethings I know in my life are making decisions about how many kids to have not based on a grand conspiracy. <laughs> exactly. I, I don't think they're the, the, under, no. the influence of any cabal no. of 
It's about your career path and when you find your love of your life right. and a lot of different things. And the, not how that. about just the affordability and what That's you can it. do yeah, and, 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 and wanting to make sure you can <laughs> provide a good standard of living and a college education to those youngsters. But I think uh, a good standard come. is state reps shouldn't probably retweet posts. Like oh, that. Yeah. Yeah. And if you are, man up and take ownership. And say, of yeah. Them. But Don't blame some kind of woke conspiracy against you. Those right. were your words the minute you retweeted them. Yeah. Own them. Yep. Uh, and, it, you know, and it's just a uh, it, sad state, some of the stuff that folks are, are buying into these days. By the way, um, a lot of thoughts headed uh, East Lansing Way as uh, the university, not in session today, but is open. Uh, there are counselors on hand, all of it, because this is the first year anniversary of the shooting up there that took three young, very promising lives. And there will be a memorial and a vigil at the Breslin Center tonight at 810. In the meantime, there are these luminaries you can pick up, which are lovely. You can decorate them yourselves, put them out, and there will be a green glow all over the East Lansing campus this evening from those luminaries. I like that. Light yeah. instead of darkness, a year after Isn't pure evil. Well said. Well said. 814 on News Talk 760 WJR. When we come back, yes, gas prices up, uh, taking a mighty leap. When might they scale back, or is this kind of a new normal for a while? We will talk to Patrick DeHaan from Gas Buddy at 819 here on AM 760. You know, Consumers Energy wants to help your business save energy and money. Uh, they've got this small business store, which has a ton of energy-saving products, at very low prices, and all of it with free shipping. So you shop the store for great things like LED lighting to limit your power consumption, advanced power slips to, ma- to manage your power better, water fixtures, air purifiers, you name it, they've got it. Make your business more energy efficient and reinvest those savings in your future and your business's future. Start saving today by visiting consumersenergy.com slash business store. That's consumersenergy.com slash business store. Shop and save today. Uh, apparently someone wants your uh, your punch keys, Jamie. Yes, uh, a new voice here at WJR, Anthony Bellino, who works with Lomas Brown at 6 o'clock. He saw our picture of our punch keys and says, please save some for him. I'm like, dude, you're at 6 o'clock. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. It's 8 19 <laughs> in the morning. They'll be a little, maybe a little firmer by then. <laughs> if uh, they last, was if, my point. True. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because we are, uh, we're punchkey powered here yes, on, yes. Uh, on uh, JR Morning. Delicious. And Parsons Delicious. will be here in a minute. <laughs> okay. Punchkeys aside, we need to talk about gas prices. They've jumped in Michigan 26 cents from a week ago, setting a new high for 2024 at 326 per gallon for regular unleaded. Uh, let's bring in Patrick DeHaan, head of petroleum analysis for Gas Buddy. Good morning, Patrick. Good morning to you. Are you local? Do you know what punch keys are? I, I do. Okay. You know, and I'm looking at the calendar. You know, it's I, I'm jealous. Let's just say that I hear you guys <laughs> talking about them. Well, highly recommend. Uh, but let's talk about gas prices. Why did we see this huge jump from just a week ago? Well, this is all part and parcel, really, uh, as the BP refinery in northwest Indiana that supplies much of the Great Lakes uh, went down back on February 1st. They lost the transformer unexpectedly, and we all saw that. I think all of us saw the images there from that refinery with its massive flare stacks underway. That refinery is actually now still been shut down as a result as they sort that out, and that BP refinery can produce and churn out 
10 million gallons of gasoline every single day. And the loss of it is what is pushing up wholesale prices. This is a simply economics issue where all of a sudden supply takes a massive hit and prices go up uh, as other refineries are going to start sending gasoline into the region as we start the transition to summer gasoline, which is also just a couple of weeks away. So uh, hate to be the bearer of bad news, but um, your punch keys might be the best thing of the day because certainly I'm not bringing any good news. Where, where is the cheapest gas in, in uh, the metro area at this point or in the state at this point of Michigan? Well, you know, that's, uh, that's something I had loaded up here. We still have a couple sub $3 stations uh, spread around Detroit, Dearborn, Madison Heights. Some of the wholesale clubs are still under three bucks a gallon, but right now it looks like Emmett, Michigan, two seventy nine a gallon. The Sunoco in Detroit is the fourth cheapest in the state. So uh, okay. I can't say, uh, you know, being from Michigan on the west side of the state, I, I can't say I'm familiar with where Emmett might be, but that's for the cheapest prices today. And it looks like it's somewhere in the middle section of the state. It's near I sixty nine, but a two seventy nine a gallon in Emmett today. All right, let me be let me be your rain man. Emmett is on the very tip of our mitten. It's home to Petoskey, Harbor Springs, and right there on the on the. The, the northern tip of Michigan. So I guess so we, it wouldn't be a, we we needed an excuse to go up north skiing. Let's <laughs> you know you, you go up there and gas up. Well, I, I, I suppose you know my geography in Michigan was a bit jaded, but I see the locations near sixty nine somewhere, and I was like, northern Michigan. I don't need an excuse to go snowmobile. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. But, um, 69, I, I was, you know, I'm thinking that's running east-south in the state. I, I think that's actually just a little bit north of, uh, I thought it was north of Detroit. but uh, oh, 69 is. Yeah, yeah, but Emmett County is is way up there. Um, we digress. Yeah, yeah. So we, we, got, we just went down a geographic <laughs> rabbit hole. Um, in terms of overall domestic oil production, though, Patrick, how yeah. are we doing? Because, I mean, by my read of it, before the pandemic, we were just shy of 13 million barrels a day Mm -hmm. now we're at 13.3 that would seem to be pretty good so is this a supply problem in general or is it just a localized supply supply problem yeah it's it's really localized for the region that this refinery serves as you mentioned though if there's a couple projects coming online here by later this year uh we'll be talking about the u.s potentially uh sorry north america producing 25 percent of the world supply of crude oil between Canada and North and, and the United States. That's impressive. But yes, what we're experiencing in gas prices is not happening coast to coast. This is primarily because of the outage of the BP refinery and it's happening in Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, uh, Illinois, and Wisconsin to the Great Lakes. But not everyone is seeing the increase, but everyone will generally start to see an increase by later this month. That's because that changeover to summer gasoline is something that starts in late February, early March subject to getting rid of all the winter gasoline, which you may start seeing a little bit of a discount, but there's going to be some whiplash when we switch from that winter to that summer blend of gasoline. So this is the time of year that, you know, we generally almost always see prices start trending actively upward uh, until April or May. Patrick, I, I got a question. You know, there are times where you're in the city of Detroit or in, in some of the suburbs surrounding Detroit, like Dearborn, where you have low gas prices. But then when you get into other suburbs, uh, Southfield, Royal Oak, uh, West Bloomfield, the, the, the gas prices are much higher. Why is there? Why is it much higher there than it is, let's say, in Detroit and, and the closer suburbs to Detroit? 
Well, every station may be individually owned and they may have an agenda. They may be primary, uh, uh, located in a good prime spot. They may have a lack of competition. Their supplier may not, you know, depending on the time of day they buy because gas prices at the wholesale level change every day as well. Mm -hmm. So all those factors, uh, but I think primarily it's just the station. Some stations uh, are, are willing to earn less profit per gallon and make it up by selling more gasoline. And some stations, um, you know, they may have higher overhead. They may not watch the wholesale price, so they may have a higher price and they may be okay with selling less gasoline. But that's simply a lot of that discretion um, may come down to the local retailer. Okay. Patrick, unrest in the Middle East, the problem in the Red Sea, has that affected yeah. um, oil, crude oil, and then therefore gas? Not in a significant way. Um, you know, some of those issues have, have pushed oil around uh, the Cape of Africa, uh, transit times have gone up in some cases by several weeks, but that, you know, we're at a time of year that global oil demand tends to be a little bit weaker. So no, the Red Sea issues haven't really had a significant impact on the price of oil that could change uh, moving forward, especially as we get into the time of year that demand does start picking up. Uh, but that's always something to keep an eye on. I think really here at home, uh, the U.S. economy is, is really being pushed, uh, or I should say oil prices more uh, concerned with the state of the U.S. economy. And by the way, interesting, if, if, if anyone else watches the other side of energy prices, oil, gas, natural gas, uh, the warmer than expected winter has really been a boon to natural gas. And by the way, natural gas uh, production in the United States has soared. And right. that, for that reason, natural gas is below $2 per million BTUs this morning. Um, you know, you think about Europe and, and how jealous they must be of our, our plentiful, reliable natural gas. We're uh, obviously in an election year. There's going to be talk, a lot of talk about energy policy. If we're seeing record yeah. production of crude oil domestically, if we're seeing uh, natural gas production go through the roof, does that mean the war on fossil fuels isn't, isn't going very well or that the industry has found other ways uh, to, to do well, what it needs to do? Yeah, I, I think to your point, uh, I, I mean, a lot of, a lot of this, this attack, I think is, isn't materializing because the industry is, is evolving, right? Uh, for example, the, the ban on, on some federal lands. Well, two thirds of the oil produced in this country comes from private lands anyway. So a, a lot of this is being upplayed in the media by saying, you know, suggesting that these are going to be uh, huge uh, uh, weights on the market and that we can't uh, evolve, but we are evolving. Now I will say if the administration does change uh, and it goes more towards the right, while well, you could see production increases increase or accelerate, mm -hmm. uh, that certainly would still take likely years of time, right? The industry can't just build new infrastructure overnight. So there still would be time, but there is more that can be done still to accelerate investment. It just really depends on, you know, whether the White House or who's in the White House would be more friendly towards allowing that infrastructure to be built or not. Yeah. We'll have to wait and see what happens in November. Patrick DeHaan, head of petroleum analysis for Gas Buddy, thanks for waking up with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. There is an election here in the state. In a few short weeks away, we're going to talk to a clerk about how it's going and what uh, you might see on the ballot. That's next. We will be headed off to the polls. The official date of the primary election is February 27th. But because of uh, the ballot proposal that Michigan voters passed in back in uh, 2020, we, we can get to the polls a lot sooner. I think we've got nine days of early voting in uh, many municipalities. And uh, how does that change things? How do we do that? Well, our Michigan clerks have been hard at work making sure that they're prepared for these changes. Among them, Justin Roebuck, the Ottawa County clerk who joins us live this morning. 
Mr. Roebuck, thanks for being with us. Hey, you bet. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. So there's the, the, the traditional Tuesday vote on the 27th, but there are several days. When, when can we actually file that first ballot? Is it this Saturday? Yeah, that is right. This Saturday, the 17th of uh, February, is the beginning of early voting across the state of Michigan. So different municipalities have different hours across the state in terms of the open hours of early voting. Um, so you can go uh, you can go online at michigan.gov slash vote and find out you know, where you can go to vote early. But essentially, this is going to look like voting in a precinct. Very, very similar. You, you, know, you check in, you get issued a ballot, you can cast it in the tabulator yourself. And Michigan voters will have nine days, so from the, uh, the 17th through the 25th of February, to do that. Justin, uh, did you – I know a lot of other um, uh, clerks say they – uh, were frustrated about the delay on the software updates, <clears throat> excuse me, involving especially the qualified voter file. Did, did you have a delay, and is that installed, and you ready to go? <laughs> it is It is installed. It is ready to go. And I think, you know, this has been an amazingly tight timeline throughout this entire process. It's kind of funny, you know, you think about, well, 2022 when this ballot initiative passed, but it was actually almost July of last year July of last year before the legislature sort of gave us the implementing legislation for, okay, how is this actually going to look, you know, and from that point on, uh, the, the state has been working very hard on the process of ensuring that we have, you know, everything that we need in terms of the qualified voter file. It's important because it's, this is a live database, mm -hmm. so there's a lot of security elements into it, but we need it to be live because we want to make sure that it's only one vote, one person, right? So, you know, if someone comes in and votes early, we want to make sure that they don't go again during another day of early voting or you know, try to cast a ballot on Election Day. So there's a lot of security uh, procedures involved in this. And, you know, we're confident that this is going to go well uh, on, on Saturday for sure. But it was a very tight timeline. <laughs> yeah, Justin, I was going to ask you about keeping things transparent, secure, safe as we go to the polls, however we do it. How can you tell people out there it's safe? Yeah, great question. I think that is so important. I mean, it's very important for our voters to trust the system. You know, we have so many different elements of checks and balances in Michigan elections and really elections all over the country. You know, first and foremost, this is a pretty transparent process. Uh, the public is invited into this process in so many different levels of our elections. The election themselves you know, anyone can can view the process happening from a public viewing area of every single precinct, which includes our early voting centers. Um, the public is also encouraged to come and watch the process as we test our equipment, for example. So here in Ottawa County, we're in a collaboration agreement with our local units of government. So the county is essentially facilitating early voting here. And we held a public test last week, Monday, where we invited members of the public to observe the whole process, really walk through that with them. And we had several people there, which was encouraging. So I think transparency is a big deal. It's also important to note that elections are bipartisan. So every single election that we have, there are members of both major political parties at the table doing the work. Mm -hmm. And that's really critical for um, you know, the, the, the transparency and the trust in the operation as well. So I think those are a couple of key components of that.
So in, in the minds of, of us lay people, you know, we look at Election Day. We know that we put our ballot into that little thingy that sucks it up and puts it to the locked bucket. And then you guys transmit that back for the count. But it's all done in a day under lock and key with with in that precinct. If you got nine days of voting, that's nine days yeah. that you've got to secure those paper ballots from skullduggery and, you know, malfeasance of some kind. How do you do that? Yeah, great question. And I think that's, you know, that's an important element of this, right? We have to get this security piece right. And the process is pretty locked down, you know, in terms of the requirements on the the storage of the materials that are secured, Um, you know, every single day. You're absolutely right. In an election, you know, all of that stuff is boxed up, sealed up and returned to the local clerk, uh, the city or township on election night. This is a little bit different, but we have many security measures in place. So, for example, the following morning, as, as the materials are locked in a stored, uh, they're sealed and they're locked in storage rooms that are limited access only to the, you know, a uh, few election officials surrounding uh, the process. And then at the, at the beginning of the day, in, in the public, in, in precinct, uh, with a bipartisan team, we are verifying the seals that were placed on the ballots the night before. And so before we ever begin that process on Election Day, we're, we're verifying a bunch of steps. Uh, you know, what happened the previous day? Where, where was the tabulator total yesterday before we closed down and where is it this morning? And so there are a lot of verification steps and we've just completed uh, several days of training for our early voting uh, team here in Ottawa County. And I think, you know, I am more encouraged even than I was a few months ago in terms of the number of steps that we have in place to ensure the integrity of this process. And, Justin, I I know that uh, you you have people come in and watch you guys and see what you guys are doing. You're talking about all of the security measures that you have. But how quick can that flip around after all the work that you are, you guys are doing to keep things safe? How quick can that flip around if a candidate comes out and starts saying, well, you know, this is this is fraud because I didn't win. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's so important because I think, you know, we all as citizens in our democracy have a responsibility to look at facts, to look at data. I mean, my my job right in elections as a clerk is a very data driven job. And we like to look at data and facts and see, okay, where was if, if there is a problem, where was that problem? It can be documented. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, there there is a there is a pull, a natural pull, probably in human nature, to say, well, I lost this something, something must be wrong. And it is so important. It's a responsibility we have as citizens to look at the facts and look at the reality before we start making accusations. And it's so important because you know, election. I do this every day, but I often tell our team like, there's a lot of normal human beings out there <laughs> with lives and you know kids and families and work, and we're busy, right? You know, I don't expect everyone to know the ins and outs of election law. Mm-mm. So it, it becomes really important that before we make a uh, an accusation that we have the facts right, and we, we're all responsible in our community for uh, for doing that. So, it is, but when Facebook is filled with, you know, doubt wow, and accusations, yeah. and, and that's where so many people, instead of listening to trusted officials like you, Justin, are now getting their news from 
a neighbor with, with, with that may want yeah. to sew. Well, then go down and watch the process. There you he go. Said, You're welcome. Oh, right. that, that's so true, right? That's so encouraging. And we encourage so many people to do that. Like, hey, sign up. If you have questions about the security and integrity of the ballots, you actually have an ability to be the one of the people who signs off on the ballot field at night. You know, sign yeah. up and be an election worker. You even get paid. So, And how about doing that before important. you forward and share it on social media? <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right, exactly. <clears throat> oh, we can only hope that, that. Yeah, that cooler heads will prevail. We do so appreciate. We know it's been an arduous process, and, the, and, and you corrected me. It wasn't 2020 ballot proposal. It was 22. Uh, for the hard work that's gone into this on behalf of all the clerks, uh, we would you just want to say thank you. Oh, we appreciate that. And thank you guys. Um, yeah, thanks for having me on and, uh, definitely encourage everyone to get out and try this process. All right. Good luck Saturday. Good luck on the 27th. <laughs> thank you guys. Okay. Justin Roebuck, the Ottawa County clerk. When we come back, it is Fat Tuesday. We're going to uh, speak with one of our favorite Polish Americans and also give you the latest inflation numbers. Just in, hot off the presses, it's all ahead on JR Morning on AM 760. Well, the numbers are in, and inflation cooled to 3.1% in January. Some underlying prices did tick up slightly more than expected. I think the consensus estimate from the journal was 2.9%. But... uh, It's better than what we were seeing and uh, the smallest gain since March of 2021. So prices are still going up, not going up nearly as quickly as they were in previous months. And we are still at 3.1%, well above the 2% target from the Fed. Who knows what that means to the Fed governors, uh, Jerome Powell and others, as they decide what to do to the interest rates that have been uh, choking off a lot of housing sales for people. But We will see and uh, see how the market reacts when it opens. It's going to be opening on the Dow at an all-time high. It is Fat Tuesday. I think it's like the fattest Tuesday. (laughs) The only thing higher than the Dow is our blood sugar level. Our cholesterol. Yeah, let me tell you. because I've been taste uh, testing. Oh, Jamie's the great taste tester, and she's giving them all a thumbs up. We had uh, some uh, uh, punch keys. uh, delivered here from Debbie Dingo, Congresswoman Debbie Dingo, and now we have in studio with us Rocky Rutschkowski. He's a retired lieutenant colonel for the U.S. Army and former chair of the Oakland County Republican Party, Polish American, and brought us the goods, the proud, real goods. Yeah, a, proud, a proud Polish American. <laughs> good and, morning. And hey, good morning, Lloyd, Jamie, and, and Guy, and it's always great to be on with you. And And I see that you've got Debbie's donuts. Uh, these, are, these aren't punch keys. These are donuts. They look, I mean, you got to go with the real Polish stuff. You got to go with the raspberry or now I don't touch well, tell, the prune. But, tell us about those. Tell yeah, these are them. these are from the uh, I brought a, a war. They're still warm. Yeah. And they're from the American Polish Cultural Center in Oakland County in Troy, Michigan. And uh, I'm proud to say my dad was a founder there. And uh, these are originally made under the Polish recipe with raspberries. Mm, so it's they're yeah. very good. But Jamie, so you were I'm you, done eating for the day. So Jamie, you you said you were the taste tester. So uh come on, uh which one I would you think say both and be honest. Are delicious Debbie's punchkis t- were a little bit donuts. lighter. Yeah, it f- yeah. it did have a little bit of a taste of like a donut. Yours yeah. are a bit more denser. Yeah, what's... Both are delicious. Okay, okay, so, so, so Jamie's running for office now. She's, yeah, she's, she's like, she's straddled that fence. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. man. Uh, it's, we, we try to be, uh, we, we, you know, we try to do both sides here. That's that journalism thing that yeah. is so rarely practiced anymore. Yeah, but you got to <laughs> pick one. You got Today well, is let election me, day. Let me ask you what, what does separate in terms of the cakey part, the dense part, 
how do you get that density that that isn't in a lot of the other ones that that make yours purely Polish? Real real fruit, real butter, mm. real <laughs> sometimes fat. I was going to say because yeah. yeah. I and listen, batter, real yeah. bakers will tell you that lard matters. Yeah, yes. absolutely. You know, when I was in the military, we ate something called MREs, military mm-hmm. uh, the, <laughs> the, the the meals ready to eat, mm-hmm. and they were like two to three thousand calories per uh, per meal. Well, these are about three thousand calories. So oh my these God. are wow. these are uh, fat pills. Yeah, so, they're they're good. Oh, and, Lord. And now, <laughs> they make you. I split it with guy though. We're, which means that we're only half ready to ride into battle. Fifteen hundred. <laughs> <laughs> well, they they prep you. They definitely prep you for that Lenten period. Yes. Yes. So get it all in today. Well, I want to ask you because I, I I know you're a man of of deep faith. What this period means? Do we ask the same thing of Debbie that the Lenten period is an important time? Well, being from uh, a a Polish background, you know, Poland was very heavy in Christianity and Jewish tradition, and those traditions were always faith in God and service to others. And this is the time where we we now celebrate and we kind of eat because for over the next 40 days, as Christians or or Catholics do the Lent thing, it's very much like the Jewish atonement during uh, Yom Kippur. And we atone for our sins and we give up something. And sometimes during this Lenten period, we don't always have to give up. We can do something. Mm -hmm. We can do something for another. And that's that's a great time where we can now prepare for uh, our, our... our faith. And let us not forget that there was a time not that long ago in Poland where your Christ, the practice of Christianity was suppressed by the Soviets. Yeah, for so many years over the Soviets and, and, the, and now the Russians in Ukraine, and you're seeing the same thing in Russia and Ukraine. And Poland, I'm, I'm proud of my Polish heritage more than ever now because we're seeing how much Poland and the United States are so in lockstep with everything, with the fight for freedom uh, across the world. Now, how wonderful is it to have the diversity of people here in the metro area? Oh, the, this area is incredible. You've got all types of people, all types of races, religions, and nationalities living in peace right here in Michigan. Right. This is one of the greatest states. And I keep telling people, this is the antithesis of Florida in the cold. You know, we are the peninsula in the cold. And this is the place where hopefully one day people will come and, and buy their retirement homes. I did think that right Maybe in about when 40, I was 50 still years. <laughs> <laughs> when I was still on maternity leave, we took the baby to, for a walk on the riverfront, and it is a melting pot of people in this town. It was nice to see everyone just enjoying the riverfront that day. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, my wife even is uh, of Lebanese background. She she came here as a legal immigrant when she was five six years old with her parents. So we are we are a melting pot, and these traditions of of Lent or with others, with Jewish traditions, Muslim traditions, Christian religions. We really bring our our, our state together and, and move forward in, in the right path. And that's melting together for a better purpose for our children's future. It's our religions. It's also about our tummies and the amazing culinary <laughs> well, maybe things. for you today. All yeah. these <laughs> well, 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 whether it's Greek town or, or what we have seen with the Lebanese restaurants and things, you don't need to worry about that. That's my problem. <laughs> you can tell Rocky has filled in here. At yeah. Rocky, no, I'm watching yes. the clock. He's, he's yes. checking the clock. <laughs> but this position's hard, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I'm saying it against, my back is to the clock. Uh, my, yeah. back is, my, gets, my back's against the wall. I, I got you. I got you covered, brother. But just, you know, it really is amazing. And it is through food that we kind of share these things. Absolutely. Now, my question for you all is, are you going to share with the uh, the next show? 
Or are you going to be, oh, there's Kevin Dietz. He <laughs> yeah. just walked in. He they, goes, they texted. better. Or are you guys going to take yeah, these home? Yeah. Uh, you, Kevin, you took the right box, by the way. You can see that you Kevin's can, wrestled yeah. away a few punchka <laughs> in his day. Uh, Ponchek or Ponchek? Ponchek. What's Ponchek. the singular? Yeah. Ponchek is singular. Ponchki is plural. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Got it. They're already right. texting so, Jamie already uh, from the other shows. <laughs> yes. Our, our sports rap yes, guys. Our sports rap guys from six o'clock tonight. One. They're still to be leftovers. Oh my god. Good gosh. luck. I, I, they're gonna be, well, it's perfect because sport rap, sports rap. We'll talk about hockey a little bit tonight. And these will be hockey pucks by the end of the year. Yeah. <laughs> so it's perfect time. And the perfect for any training table. Yeah. Uh, Rocky, thanks so much. Thank you, God bless you guys. And God bless everything thank that you. WJR does for our community. Happy yes. Lent. We thank, thank you. you. Yeah, Kevin's here. Uh, he has uh, got all talk just ahead. In the meantime, we will be back bright and early tomorrow at 6 a.m. to get your day started on a Wednesday, Valentine's Day. Don't forget the one you love. We'll see you tomorrow.